0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Welcome, welcome, all of you online. Thanks for having us there with you, wherever you're at. And uh, we are all together this morning, and so it's good to be together. And if you are new or newer to CVC, my name is Chad Allen, lead pastor here at Cuyahoga Valley Church. It's a joy for me to spend this time uh, teaching and learning with you at the same time. So, we are starting a new series today, and it's called We the Church. And we're going to be spending the next two months really diving a little deeper into understanding uh, who the church is and how God designed the church. And really the heart behind that, and this morning is going to be a bit of an introduction to kind of understand like why why are we going where we're going and and the book that we're going to be in, but really the heart behind it is that I think over the last few months there's been an increasing realization that a lot of people don't fully understand the church. And uh, need to really study the doctrine of the church maybe a little bit more. And, of course, the big fancy word for the study of the church or the doctrine of the church is ecclesiology, right? And so we're going to really delve into that for the next couple months. And really, um, the, the thing that prompted this months and months ago was listening to a lot of Christians talk about the church in these types of terms. The church is closed, Or why are churches closing? And that kind of terminology. And obviously, uh, churches needed to adjust their gatherings when COVID hit and all that kind of stuff. And we know that's a divisive, you know, topic and there's a lot of views. But the bottom line is that language doesn't fit the biblical understanding of the church. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Until Jesus Christ returns, it is an impossibility for the church to ever be closed. You need to know that. Because the church is the people Right? And so it's very healthy for us to understand that the church is not a building we go to. The church is not a service we attend. The church is a community you belong to. It's the people of God. And so we have to innovate, we have to flex, we get pushed into the community, we modify, all those kinds of things. But we're never closed because wherever the believers are, there is a portion of the church. And so, to be super uh, correct about it, we, we really don't go to church, we are the church. And so we need to really refresh and renew that understanding about the church and our hearts and our minds because it's, it's, it's good for you as an individual knowing how you fit into the community of God. And it's also good for us as a body to understand that together. It will have great benefits for us as like Team Jesus, right, as a family. And also it'll benefit our community, if we really understand what it means to be the church. Because the reality is, God has always uh, chosen to reveal himself through a group of people. Not through individuals that are disconnected, right? It's through a group of people. So whether you're looking at Israel, you know, in the Old Testament, and the church in the New Testament, you realize that God has chosen to really reveal himself to the world through a unique people. And we get to be part of that unique people as a church. The problem, I think, that where we get hung up is our rugged American individualism really sabotages what it means to understand the church or what it means to be the church. And so I think, um, when you think about COVID life, for example, that really kind of exploited that, I think, for the American church and exposed that individualism that actually can work against us in the body of Christ. But at the same time, it's also revealed the value and the need of being together, right? How many of you have said like in the recent weeks and months like, oh, it feels so good to be with each other and whether that was a meal, a coffee or a life group or a gathering in here or online. Like some of you online, uh, you get to have breakfast or lunch with the people in your home that you've invited over, get to watch service, get to talk about it. Like you pick your context, whether, whether it's a cup of coffee with another believer, encouraging one another, praying for one another, the big gathering online, on site, um, Life groups, huddles, one-on-one. Man, the church is designed by God to reflect itself, reflect Him through community and through togetherness. And we get the joy of doing that. So there's just a little more understanding about kind of like why we're in this place. And I think God's going to really, the next couple months, as uh, our our part of the church, we do understand the church is the, like, when you think of the heavenly church, that's like the universal church of all times, all people that love Christ, the followers of Christ. You've got the global church, which is all believers right now. We, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world that are going to be meeting today in one way, shape, or form, and through the week. And, and they're our family. They're our spiritual family. And then we have the local church which is a group of believers that you uh, connect with so that you can practice the one another's love one another care for one another so that the fruit of the spirit can come out right love joy peace patience uh, we're 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 designed by God to bring those one another's out sometimes it feels good sometimes it's painful um if you want God to grow your patience, just hang out with me for a couple hours. I will definitely test your patience, okay? And that's just the nature of our togetherness, that we can encourage one another, challenge one another as the church. So there's a little bit more about the, the, the uh, backdrop behind that. And then there's obviously a lot of great books of the Bible, passages in Scripture that speak to the church. But the one that we picked for the next two months is the book of Titus. And so I encourage you even now to to be uh, turning in your Bibles or open up your Bible apps on your devices, the book of Titus. And we're going to be using the book of Titus to navigate the next two months as we look for the church. And so I want to tell you a little bit more about the book of Titus. Um, When you look at the book of Titus, um, here here are basically the key people that you'll see in this very short book that's really loaded. It's packed with some great content. Uh, You've got the Apostle Paul. You've got this young man that he's mentoring named Titus. You have the believers, a.k.a. you know, the church. And then uh, you also have this intermittent people that will show up on the scene through the book of Titus that are uh, divisive leaders. They're, they're false teachers trying to divide and bring false um, doctrine into the church. And so really when you look at Titus, you've got the Apostle Paul who wrote somewhere between A.D. Uh, 63 to 65 to Titus, who's a young man. Who was a Greek convert? So Titus wasn't, you know, raised in the faith of you. He was a Greek convert that we believe probably came to faith underneath Paul's ministry. And then Paul mentored. And at one point, Paul decided to leave uh, Titus on an island. Isn't that great with your mentor? Hey, I love being with you. Great. I'm gonna leave you alone on an island. Oh, awesome. All right. And he left him alone on the island of Crete. And Crete is a tough place to be, the church. And here's, here's a little bit about Crete that you probably need to know if you don't already. It's one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean Sea, just off the coast of Greece. And it's a tough place geographically, because although it's a, it's a large island, it's very mountainous. And so there's a lot of mountains, there's fertile valleys, and so you have a lot of these uh, communities, well-populated communities and cities all over Crete, but they're very independent in nature. And there's no major road system to really get to them. So if you're going to go from village to village, city to city, you, you've really got to make a lot of effort to do so, which Titus obviously did. So geographically, it's a bit of a challenge. Politically, it was a challenge for uh, the early church there. It was a heavy, heavy Roman influence on the island. And it was also a training center for Roman soldiers. So very hard to you know, get the faith in through that Roman uh, you know. Political ideology. Also, culturally, it was very challenging. Along with the dominant Greco Roman vibe, there was also a Jewish population on Crete. And uh, on top of that, it was also a stopover for ships that would be crossing the Mediterranean. So, all of that made this like melting pot of belief and culture. And, and uh, on top of that, the people of Crete, the Cretans, had a reputation that they had developed. It was a reputation that they they were people who were corrupt, dishonest, immoral, and brutal people. In fact, we'll see it again. But in Titus one twelve, Paul says this. He says one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts." Lazy gluttons. (laughs) So that's the reputation that the people of Crete had. And uh, Paul was quoting one of their own uh, poets, uh, Epimenides, when he said that. And also, Crete was very tough spiritually because of all the reasons listed, but also because of the Roman-Greco influence, it was very, very pagan. So the spiritual climate of Crete was dominated by this polytheistic faith and a lot of pagan gods, including those of the Greek mythology. In fact, there's a tall island, the tallest mountain on the island. I mean, uh, Mount Ida. That Greek mythology, you know, historically said that was the birthplace of Zeus. So you can just imagine all the temples that would have been all over this island with the pagan faith there. So this this is a this is a very tough scenario. Plus, on top of that, you had false teachers trying to come in there and distort the gospel of Christ that was taking root. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, how how'd the gospel get to Crete, anyways? Well, if, uh, we, we don't really have it written down, but what we believe happened by looking at the data and the, and the text is there was a Jewish population, like I said, on the island of Crete, which means that what they would have done is for many of the Jewish festivals and holidays, they would have traveled to Jerusalem to worship. And uh, what would have happened was that there would have been Jewish believers— there on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed. And we actually see that because in Acts chapter 2, you've got a list of all of these people from all over the region. We saw this last week actually that had converged on Jerusalem for Passover. And if you look at Acts 2.11, it says that there were Jews and proselytes and what? Cretans. Cretans were there. And so what we believe happened is some of those Cretans heard the uh, apostles filled with the Holy Spirit proclaiming Christ, were converted, then went back home to Crete. But now, they're on the island of Crete, they're new Christians, they want to live for Jesus, but they don't have any leadership, they don't have any structure, they don't have any order, they're just kind of, they're just kind of there, you know? And so now you understand why God had Paul send Titus to basically, um, you know, develop and organize the church there on Crete and encourage and reinforce it, because the believers there needed that. And so can you imagine... And trying to be a new Christian on the island of Crete, based on all that you just learned in this moment, it was it was definitely a, a challenge. Now, some of the common themes, some of the themes that we'll see when you read through Titus, now you'll see why it's a good book to be in as you're talking about the church. Some of the themes are salvation and eternal life, um, solid doctrine devotion to good works in the name of Christ, uh, God's mercy, the gospel, church leadership, godly living and character. And so although uh, God had Paul address this letter to Titus, uh, God had Paul jam pack it full of content that was going to be beneficial to the congregational life of the church. So that little backdrop, we're going to get into Titus now. So open up to Titus chapter 1. And as you're getting to Titus chapter 1, I want to invite you into another opportunity that will be beneficial, I think, for you, is take our CVC response number. Hopefully, you'll have it saved now on your phone. And if you're newer, uh, it's 440-276-5575. Text that in, lock it in, and that way you can interact with us through the the text feature. But if you text the word verses, okay, versus, uh, what that will do for the next eight weeks is... The verses that we're going to teach on Sunday, you'll get them texted to you on Friday. That way you can look them over, you can get familiar with them, you'll know where we're going to be and really have a a little bit of a head start. And so those will be available for you if you text the word verses to our response number. All right, Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is the introduction, but I think there's some good stuff in here that we can talk about. Titus chapter 1. Paul, identifying the author, right? My true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you've given us your word. It's perfect. It's holy. It's supernatural. It's flawless. And you've given us this word uh, to understand your heart and to understand how you want us to live. And God, uh, there are lessons. There are insights that you have for us from what you had Paul send Titus. We pray that we can be good students and learn for how to apply some of those principles and thoughts and what we learn about you and your character to our lives as we also uh, do church in a tough place, as we also try to be the body of Christ in an environment and a culture that lives in open rebellion to you. And so, uh, God, help us to grow in our faith and to grow in our understanding and ability uh, to be a healthy church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this brief introduction... You get a glimpse of what Paul um, has on his heart for, for Titus, but also what God has put on his heart in Paul's heart for the church. And I think there are several rich insights on the people of God, on the church. A minute ago I said, you know, church is not a building you go to, and church is not a service you attend. It's a community that you belong to. Well, I think these insights give us a better glimpse of what kind of community is that? Like, what kind of community are we? What are we supposed to be like? And, of course, there's a, there's a lot more out there, but there's five really neat insights just in this introduction to Titus that I want to focus on. And the first one I see is this. We, the church, are people of faith. We're people of faith. So look at Titus 1.1. We're going to hit Titus 1.1 multiple times today. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And so we are people of faith. We're not people of fear. We're not people that believe that coincidence determines our life or happenstance. Uh, We're not to be carried around by what we feel or what other popular opinion may or may not say. Uh, We are people who possess faith. Now, faith is a conviction and belief that leads to complete trust in the object of which you have your faith in. And so we obviously have uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God the Son is the object of our faith. So we, the church, have a common faith. I love that language that Paul used with Titus, you know, my, my true child in a common faith. We have a common faith in Jesus. That's why if we sit down with one another... And we start to talk about how we came to know Christ, um, the, the, the challenges we're experiencing and trying to live for Christ, uh, the cool things that Jesus has done in our life. There's a, there's a connection because we have a common shared faith. And so we're people of faith and faith in Christ. Now, there are a lot of alternatives, right? We know this. There are a lot of alternatives that we can place our faith in. And, and some of us were there, and, and there might be some of you here right now that you've got your faith somewhere else. You've got a different object that you're trusting in, a different uh, source that you're trusting in other than the Lord. And so maybe it has been or is money or possessions or accomplishments. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a false religion. Maybe, maybe you put your faith in your looks or your health or um, your intellect or maybe your own opinion. But what we come to realize pretty quick, and over time as well, is that any other object than God that we put our faith in proves to be a tragic disappointment. Amen? Tragic disappointment. They make, everything else makes a tragic savior. No one else can save. No, nothing else can save. So anyone else or anything else we try to trust in proves to be insufficient and weak and empty and disappointing, but we, the church, have our faith in Christ, and so you see right here this is this is a faith thing we are people have faith in who Jesus is as, as God in the flesh, we have faith in Jesus and his death on the cross. We know that Jesus died in our place. Because we're sinful, because we have no ability to stand before a holy God in our sinful state and be made right with God, and that we had no ability to fix that, that God out of his love sent Christ who died on the cross in our place for our sins and who defeated death and sin when he rose from the grave. Like, that's our faith, and we love that. And so we are people of faith. We are also people of election. And I'm not talking about the one that's about to take place in a couple weeks, all right? This is this is the doctrine of election that emerges here in, in Titus 1.1. Look again, Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Ah, the doctrine of election. Some of you are going, all right, here we go, right? Well, just a quick tap on election. Uh, here's what election basically means in a sentence. It's God choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That God chose us. We, we didn't really choose him. Uh, he chose us. And our response to him, if you want to use the word choice to follow him, is because God made it so. He, he preordained that. If you want to tap on and expand the definition, here's, a, here's one I found I really like. I think it's really thorough. It says, It is God alone who saves. Those who are saved are seen to be the ones whom God has chosen or elected to be saved. This does not mean that they were not in some way involved in their salvation, right? God lets us, you know, participate in it. But it does mean that God took the initiative. He effected the plan. He provided the grace and deserves all the credit for the salvation of his people. None who is ultimately redeemed can boast that they saved themselves or that they added anything to the salvation that they received through Jesus Christ. And so the people who make up the universal church, the eternal church, were handpicked by God. And, and there's really two ways that the, the election is understood. Um, some people just reject it, even though it's in Scripture. So you can't reject the doctrine of election. It's, it's in the Bible. You can't, you can't rip those pages out. You have to deal with it. Okay? Um, it puts us in a place where we go like, uh, I am not like some of what the implications are with election, but it's like God's God, and he's sovereign. And he's going to call the shots. But basically there's a view of what's called conditional election, election which is god's election of you is conditioned on him looking down from eternity to see what you would do oh so 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 i picked chad because i saw that chad was going to pick me well who does it sound like is in charge of that transaction i am i'm going to choose god he sees i'm going to choose him so he chooses me right that, that's, that's conditional election, basically. Unconditional election is, <laughs> you had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. God just says, I'm going to pick Chad. He's going to follow me. Unconditional, done. Game over. And then this mysterious dance of my free will and God's sovereignty kind of weaves itself together. And um, here's how to simply understand that. You can't. Okay, so moving on. <laughs> I love how God gives us just enough and then says, your mind just needs to be blown i'll explain the rest to you later face to face you know and so this is election the church is full of the elect and so god chose us long before we ever chose him we're we're called into faith by god's wisdom by god's initiative a couple other verses i think speak strongly to this romans 9:11 says that though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that god's purpose of what word Election might continue, not because of works, right? We don't earn it, but because of him who calls. It's it's God's doing. Also in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Let's think about it this way. Raise your hand if you know God has blessed you somehow. Has God blessed you? Absolutely, all of us. God has blessed us. I know you're raising your hand, those of you who are home. God's blessed us. Think about this. Election was your very, 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 very first blessing. Like, it started there. Like, our very first undeserved blessing from God was election, We did nothing. It's just his doing. And so praise God for that. And we get to walk it out in community as one. And so we see that that we are people of faith. We're also people of election. God's chose us. And then thirdly, we are people of truth. We're people of truth. Back to Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the what? Truth. Which... Cores to godliness, okay? So what I love about this is God's very clear. He didn't call us to a truth or one of the truths. He called us to the truth. In fact, uh, right now, some of you that have been good Bible students for years, John 14, 6 is running through your mind where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus said there, Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the truths. I'll show you a truth. He said, I am truth. I am the truth. And so we believe in Jesus, which means we believe and follow the truth. And that's really a tough pill to swallow in our culture, right? All around the world, we go like, oh, but it seems like there's many truths. No. It sounds nice. It sounds very coexisting, you know, sweet. Let's all just get along. Time like, oh, everyone's truth is their own truth. Until you put all the truths together and realize they are so vastly different and contradictory, they can't coexist, They can't. It's like trying to take oil and water and pour them together and say, oh, they coexist. No, they separate. And so Jesus is separated from every other religious system because of who he is as God in the flesh and also because of God's grace. That Every other religious system is about working your way to God, working your way to forgiveness, somehow doing enough that then God will be approving of you and then you can be his, and even then, maybe, right? When you realize the biblical message that Jesus is the truth died in our place, secured our eternity, and we're his based on his grace and his grace alone. Forgiveness is received, not achieved. Relationship with God is received, not achieved. Okay? And the truth is received, not achieved. And so we see that we are people of the truth. And so the church is this universal group of eternal people that personally know the truth embodied by Jesus Christ. Well, how do we come to know the truth? Because of the truth that God also shows us in His Word. In fact, if you look at Titus 1.3, it speaks to God manifested it through His Word, the Bible. So anytime someone says, I've got something that's true, but it's not rooted in Scripture, it's not true. So God has given us the truth, the gospel, the message of Christ through His Word. And so that's why it's so valuable for us that when we gather, whether it's one-on-one, huddles, life groups, or in this bigger context... The Word is central to our time, right? Like, just, if you're newer to CBC or you're trying to figure out what this church is about, let me try to tell you right now. Any person, whoever teaches from here, all our teaching pastors, the best we have to offer you is the Word of God. We're not going to try to cram other stuff, you know, down your throat. It's like, we just got to be fellow students coming to the Word of God because that's where the truth is. And that's what God's going to use to conform us to Himself and instruct us and guide us and, and also um, correct us, Right? That's really the bottom line of why a lot of people don't like the Bible. I don't want God to correct me. Just want just leave me alone. Well, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to be corrected. <laughs> well, don't worry. You don't just get correction. You get encouragement. You get hope. You get joy. You get love. Okay, we're people of the truth that's found in Christ and also that's found in the Word. So, the church—we're people of faith, election, truth. We're also people of godliness. Back to Titus 1.1, Paul, servant of God and an apostle Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. What does that mean? The word accord there is an interesting word in the original Greek, which was written in, right? It's the word kata, K-A-T-A, katah. And what it means is to flow down. So the truth will flow down into our lives and produce godliness, That's why when we're not in Scripture, it's easier to be ungodly. And that's why when we're in the Scriptures, we find it easier to be godly because we're filling our minds and our hearts and we're giving the Holy Spirit ammunition to hit us with, right? When we're in God's Word. And so this knowledge of the truth accords with godliness, which means the knowledge of the truth that God's given us and who Christ is and in His Word results in an increased godliness in our life. The the word there is sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart for a use. See, God has set apart you, and God has set apart us to be used for God's glory, to accomplish his will, right? And so to be sanctified is this process. Everyone say process. process. Sanctification is a process by which we're made more and more like Christ, so the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we spend time spend God and his word, the more we live in humble surrender to the Lord, the, the better that process of sanctification goes and making us like Jesus. If we resist sanctification, the Lord kind of lets us sit and wallow in a lack of being sanctified until we start to get, you know, going, right? And even the sanctification process, it's all driven by God. It's the Holy Spirit's work. It's not our own is done through faith in christ and so this is a godliness that god's called us to now i think there's an interesting reality we need to be reminded of here because oftentimes like think about the moments where where you're like i want to know god's will for my life been there right like god what's your will for my life where where do you want me to live what do you want me to do my job who am i going to marry like do you want me to move here do this do that do you want me to serve full-time like god what's your will for my life well, he answers the question multiple ways, multiple times, but one that's most clear is in First Thessalonians four three through five. It says, "For this is the will of God." You're like, oh, here we go. Your sanctification. What's God's will? Live sanctified. Like to make you more like Christ. Well, God, what about can you like fill in some blanks there? Like other names attached to that, locations. Like, what's that look like? It's like, look. My my will for you is to be sanctified to be more like Christ, the rest will kind of flow out of that. And then he elaborates, right, that you abstain from sexual immorality, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What's God's will? That his people look, act, and are different than the people around them who don't know God. Which is really interesting because when you start to play this out, think about, think about the Christians on Crete. We just heard what it's like to be a Cretan, right? <laughs> that, that, they're, that they're brutal and they're violent and lavish and excessive and dishonest and all these things, right? So you know those, those believers on Crete, when they started to live this out, they stood out. And God was going to use that. So, in the same way, that, that's what God's done in our life. Our sanctification, God uses, and, and we're going to live counterculturally. We're going to live different. And you'll experience two things when that happens. When you're successful, when, you, when just surrendering to God and letting His sanctification process work its way out in you, here's what's going to happen. On one hand, you're going to be attacked. Because what, what do people do and what does culture do to someone who's different? They attack. So when you decide not to think, believe, or act upon the values the culture says is important, which is typically open rebellion to God, they're going to, they're going to come at you because of that. All right? They, they, they attack what they don't understand. They attack what feels like is um, opposition to them. But the second experience that happens is God also uses our sanctification to draw more of the elect to draw more followers of Christ. And so people will see you living in a way that's different and like a moth to a flame, want to know why, or they already know why and they're watching and they know it's because of Jesus. Because all of us deep down know we're not right with God. All of us deep down know that all the other things we're trusting in outside of God are lousy saviors and eventually leave us empty. And so when we find someone who goes, that peace you have, that hope you have, that faith you have, that joy you have, even though life is crazy, and even though you're hurting right now, there's this trust and strength. Where is that coming from? You can go, that's Jesus. And it's part of my sanctification. God is setting me apart for himself. And then he gives us the strength to be better husbands, better wives, better parents, better brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And and better members of the global eternal church. And so we are people of this godliness that God has called us to. So we're people of faith, we're people of election, we're people of truth, we're people of godliness, and we're also people of hope. Amen? We live in a world that's hopeless. We know this, right? Like you listen to the news, it's almost like, is your agenda just to try to give us no hope? Are you just trying to strip us down and create stress and anxiety and fear? If you want to reduce the fear in your life, just turn the news off, please. You want, to, you want to reduce the anxiety in your life? Just stop scrolling social media like a zombie. Like, just distance yourself from that. Instead, spend time with the Lord. Get in His Word, pray, hang out with other Christians. You know, even if your health is compromised, spend all day on Zoom talking to Christians. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you got to be together. And so we're people of hope because we live in a world that's hopeless. Well, what's the best hope that the world's going to give you? Hey, look, make as much money as you can, have as much pleasure as you can, you're going to die, you're going to be put in a box, and then you're done. Oh, that's really hopeful. Thanks a lot for that. But in the meantime, you're going to leave this trail of carnage, of broken relationships and emptiness and pain in your life. Oh, by the way, you're actually going to live for eternity in heaven or hell, but we're not going to tell you about that part. No, we have hope. We have hope, and not just hope in God, not just hope in Christ, but in what He joyfully, lovingly has provided us in eternal life. We are eternal beings. It's not game over when this body's done. We know this, right? It's not. Soul soul's going to spend forever in the presence of God and one day be reunited with the resurrection body and we're going to spend forever together in heaven. And the vision of heaven is not, we've talked about this before, you're not going to be floating on a cloud with angel wings and a harp and a halo for like ever like strumming that thing. That's not a biblical picture of heaven. There's a new heaven, a new earth, man. We're going to be experiencing the most beautiful aspects of earth forever, for eternity, while experiencing the presence of God. No more distance no more pain, no more sorrow. Like, like, this is our hope. So you and I can get through all the yuck right now because we know what's coming. We've got this hope. It's this eternal hope. Look at Titus 1, 2. Actually, 1, 1 and 1, 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the angels began. God has promised his elect heaven. And when God promises, he does not lie. It's there. I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven if you're a follower of Christ. Beyond that, I've got got a relationship with God now. How is that that I get to enjoy God now in my broken state, in my flawed state, when all my brothers and sisters are also in their broken and flawed states, and then one day we're all going to be not broken with God forever and eternity? It's like, how good is God? And the world wants to strip you of that hope and break it down. Get you all wound up, all fired up, spending all your energy on earthly things when you got the heavenly thing that gives you the most hope. Your hope is not going to be sitting in the Oval Office in two, three weeks from now. That's not your hope, okay? Your hope isn't your body being perfectly healthy. Like, that's not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and getting spent forever together with him in eternity. That's awesome. We're people of hope. The sad thing is, if someone's been hanging out with a lot of the Christians the last four or five months, that's not the message they're getting. They're not getting hope. God has made us a people of hope. People of faith. And we're people of election. We're people of truth. We're people of godliness. And we're people of hope because that's the work that God does in our life. That's what God does work in our life. And so just as the Christians on Crete had to walk this out in such a way that this, this church would stand out and make a difference. God's still calling us to do that today. You know, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but not. As I was studying this and just thinking about our church expression, you know, CVC, think about our history, going, okay, Titus was left in a tough place to do ministry, and he did it, and, and God used him, and it was fruitful. And that, that took a lot of grit from Titus. He was kind of like a spiritual green beret to get in there and do that, you know? And like over 30 years ago, man, our founding pastor, Rick Duncan, and his wife, Marianne, came here to Northeast Ohio with grit to come and just say, God, if, if you can use us to, to make a difference here, let's do it. And, that, and, and CVC got planted. Now, that wouldn't have happened, by the way, if it wasn't for the loving, strong investment of another church family called Far Hills Church. Far Hills Church helped financially support us, get our, get our roots down, and encourage and support Pastor Rick. And, and so uh, that's that church planting strategy. And so for over 30 years, we still have a heart to launch the church, if you will, into other contexts to reach more people for Christ. So we've got churches that we've planted, church planters that we've launched, churches that we've supported and come alongside with. We've got a campus, and Lord willing, maybe campuses in the future that God's going to continue to allow us to to launch so we can get into communities at a deeper level to be that elect, right, who just starts to permeate a culture with truth and hope and godliness and faith. And it's a a, a beautiful thing. And so uh, I thought about a new opportunity that we have. It's come on the radar over the last... You know, several months is one area that we've been doing ministry is in Appalachia. How many of you might have actually been to Appalachia? I know some of you have been to Appalachia on a mission trip. Absolutely, okay? And specifically, Beckley, West Virginia. Now, if you don't know this, West Virginia leads our nation in deaths to overdose to the opioid crisis. But that, West Virginia is number one for, for overdose deaths to opioids, okay? And so we've been investing in, in Appalachia for a while, and really the, the, the goal of that is to help people who are helping people there. And so we've, we've, you know, we've helped some churches. We've worked closely with Brian Safe House and Sparrows Nest and some other ministry and um, addiction recovery homes. We've worked with Appalachian Bible College. We just try to invest there to help those people who are moving the ball. But the one thing that's been kind of a glaring absence for us is a, is a church partner. Because like sometimes it feels like we blow in, do some awesome stuff, and then blow out. See you next year, or maybe see you at Christmas, right? But it would be so much more beneficial if we had a church planter that planted a church, and we partnered with that church. So we've been praying for that on and off over the last couple years. Well, right as COVID was getting ready to hit, there was a young couple that was praying about, God, where do you want us to go? Where do you think God sent them? Beckley, West Virginia, okay? So with the North American Mission Board, and this young couple, Noah and his wife Cheyenne, Tony, uh, they are launching what's called Redemption Church there in Beckley, West Virginia. And it's a church planter that just what Far Hills did for CVC, we're going to do for Redemption Church. And so we're going to come along, and say, we're going to support you financially. Yeah, praise God for that, right? We're going to encourage you. Um, in fact, um, and I don't know if you get a chance to see them or not, especially if you're online, but uh, word on the street is they're actually going to be here next week, and they're going to come up and just kind of hang out with the CVC body. So you might be able to see uh, Noah and Cheyenne next week. And just if you do, encourage them, pray for them. We're going to be, just encourage them. But all that to say, it, that's another example of people, who are, as we described, going to places to be those people as God wants us to be. And so as we've talked through this, I don't know what God's stirring in your heart, but hopefully it's just a gratitude to be part of this eternal, universal body called the church that God has for us. Now, A couple response options I want to give you before uh, we, we spend some time in prayer. One is this relationship with Christ that we keep talking about like, if you need Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're ready to be made right with God. You're ready to learn more about Jesus and the hope and the peace and the truth and all that we've been talking about. We want to have a conversation with you and help you do that. You just need to know that you need to admit that you're a sinner and you live in open rebellion to God. You need to know uh, that you need to place your belief and trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, that his death on the cross was for your sinfulness so that you could be made right with God. And then you need to commit yourself to live for Jesus. You're not just checking some little Jesus box, like you're surrendering your life. And so if you're ready for that, uh, please text us with our response number. Text the word Jesus to the response number. And we've got a friend on the other end uh, that would love to just walk you through what it means to follow Christ. Also, if something that we talked about today has sparked something in you that you just need to talk about, you need to talk with a pastor, or ministry leader, text the word connect, we'll, we'll follow up with you and see how we can serve. But outside of that, um, let's, just, let's just go to prayer. One of the things I want to pray is just a prayer of thankfulness for you because your giving <laughs> makes stuff like the church in Beckley, West Virginia happen and all the other church plants. Your giving makes this moment happen. So thank you for your faithfulness because I'm so grateful for, for who you are and what you do as, as part of God's work. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. These... these traits that we've talked about today are not possible without you. So thank you for being a God we can have faith in. Thank you for being never changing. Thank you for being holy and awesome and sovereign. Solid and stable so we can always come to you and find our faith landing in a secure place. Thank you that you're a God we can have faith in. God, thank you for electing us. What a, what a mind-boggling mystery. God, you chose us, and we're thankful. I pray for those who today are going to respond to this choosing of them from before the foundations of the world. God, just be with them as they interact with us on needing Christ. Lord, thank you for truth. We live in a world that's confusing, where many truths are out there, but, Lord, that's not true. There's only one truth, and that's you. Thank you for cutting through the noise to give us Jesus. God, thank you for godliness. It's impossible in our broken state. We're not good, but because of Jesus and his work on the cross, because of the empowering Holy Spirit, because of the transformational work of who you are and what you do in our life, we can be more godly. Thank you for that. May we live more sanctified today and tomorrow than the days past. And God, thank you for the hope that you give us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling with stress and anxiety and fear and hopelessness. God, may they turn their eyes to you and renew the hope they have in Christ. Help us to be these kind of people of faith, of truth, of Godliness, of hope. God, we do pray for Redemption Church in Beckley. We pray for Noah and Cheyenne, God, would you give them encouragement and hope and faith. Right now as they do this hard work, God, we pray for all of our church plants that are still meeting and ministering to people. We're thankful that we get to play a part of that. We thank you for the campus we're getting to launch here in Brunswick and Strongsville. God, may they all bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and glorify you. And thank you for the faithful at CVC who pray, who serve, who trust, who give so that you can be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen.